Greetings humans and welcome to Lefteris Ask Science edition number 17. The podcast where I annoy researchers and academics and I ask questions until I understand what, how and why they do what they do. This week we'll find out what game theory is, how is it used, and we'll get examples of game theory being used in real life. To answer these questions, I asked help from Dr. Aris Filosratsikas, an assistant professor from the University of Liverpool. Dr. Ratsikas was kind enough to give me an hour of his time so that I can pick his brain and try to understand what game theory is and what are researchers working on these days. Before we go on with the show, if you enjoy listening to it, subscribe to the podcast and share it as it's the best way for the podcast to grow. Additionally, I have a weekly newsletter where I share my favorite news from the world of science and academia. I have small explanations and links to the research for anyone who wants to find out more. If you like that, go to the show notes and click that link to subscribe to the newsletter. Also, if you have any questions or suggestions, go ahead and follow me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks and email me at lefteris at lefteris.com. Let's now meet Dr. Aris Filosratskas. So my name is uh, Aris Filosratskas. So I work as a, an assistant professor at the University of Liverpool in England. Uh, I'm originally from Greece, you know, have been around. I did my PhD in Denmark. Then I moved to Oxford, then I moved to Lausanne in Switzerland, and then finally here. And um, yeah, so my work is generally speaking on theoretical computer science, but there is also a blend with economics. So it's somewhere in the intersection of these two fields. And um, this is what we call generally call uh, computational game theory or algorithmic game theory. And I guess this is what we will talk about today. I wanted to start talking to Dr. Ratskas about his work and what exactly does he do for his research. But from the discussion, I quickly realized that I need to take a step back and get more fundamental knowledge about the field. So let's start by giving some definitions. What is game theory? Uh, game theory is something that originated in economics. It's a very, I would say it's an old field. Uh, probably the, the theory, like the, the theory of it dates back to the 1950s. So uh, there are some uh, very important people that did some fundamental work then. Uh, I can mention the names. So one of them is John von Neumann and the other one is John Nash. So most people might have heard of John Nash. There was also a movie about him. So in game theory, we're trying to understand and actually predict how people will, how they will interact, what kind of uh, actions they will have in, um, in an environment. And then based on this, Uh, we're trying to make de- maybe design our systems to have some good performance. So that's the whole the whole idea. The whole idea is that, you know, if you were to design traditionally a system that has some involving parties, some participants, you might do it in a way, but then you have to account for the fact that these people are selfish and they would like to somehow, um, they have some personal gain from their decisions and they would like to, you know, gain as much as possible and that you really have to have into to take into consideration uh, when you design your system and game theory helps you with that so that's that's roughly the the idea of game theory we talk about games and these are not computer games i have to remind people that uh, many times when i talk about my work uh, we call this strategic games and it's kind of an abstraction of what happens in reality so um you know let's imagine that you and i would like to go to the movies somehow But we would like to, you know, we'd rather go together than alone. But also we have different preferences on which movie to watch. 
you know, so we have to make a decision together and maybe, you know, one of us is trying to convince the other in a sense. So this is a strategic game. So we're trying to come up with a decision, uh, both of us in a, in a way. And um, this is more general. Um, you know, what happens is that you can think of it as you have some players, so we call them players. These are people that are involved in some kind of decision-making scenario. So these are players. And then each one of them proposes something. So they have uh, actions or strategies. This is what we call them. This is, you know, which movie to watch, for instance. That would be an, uh, a strategy or an action. And then they're trying to somehow, after everybody chooses their strategies, to somehow agree on something. And when we say that, when we agree on something, that means that if we've, let's say that all of us have stated uh, that we would like to see that movie and we decide on a movie, it's not like any of us would like to go see another movie by themselves. So that's a stable outcome, and this is called the Nash equilibrium. And this is um, a fundamental concept, I guess, in economics. So for this example, I made a strategy about which movie to choose, considering Dr. Atska's movie likes and personality, for example. He did the same for me, and in order to choose the movie we saw, neither of us had to deviate from the, our strategy to get the optimal outcome. And that's Nash's equilibrium, more or less. That's an interesting example, but I was wondering if there are other examples where game theory has been applied in real life. So the other example is uh, congestion in uh, in uh, road networks, and also not just road networks. It could also be other uh, other cases. But let's imagine that you can take uh, a different route to go to work, and um, you have to decide which one to take based on the congestion. Um, and you would like to take one that is not very congested, um, you know. But um, in a sense, let's imagine that everybody tries to use one of the two. Let's say there are two routes. Let's make it simple. And everybody tries to use the first one that will be very congested. So some people start moving to the to the other one. Uh, but then as people start moving to the other one, then some people will actually start moving to the first one back because the second one becomes very congested. And um, this really depends on, you know, so people try to do the best for them to minimize the congestion, but that doesn't for, for their own uh, benefit, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it minimizes the congestion uh, of the whole network. And uh, your goal is to minimize the congestion of the whole network, to make you know to make it as efficient as possible for most people. But you cannot really force people. You cannot tell people you need to go, you need to use this one, and you need to use this one. So what can, what can you do? You can maybe introduce tolls. Let's say that you know maybe this one becomes more expensive for three hours a day or something like this, and this one becomes more expensive for five hours a day. So you can think of it as game theory. Uh, it is an application of game theory because. You really are looking into the incentives of people, which roads they take and for which reason, and then you react to this by placing, you know, some, let's say, some tolls there or some. In both examples we mentioned, humans are a big part of it. And one aspect of humanity that we definitely need to mention is selfishness or irrationality. We can't expect all people to react the same way under the same conditions. You know, I, I don't want to say that game theory is the answer to everything because, as I said, we make some assumptions that might be very simplifying in practice, like everybody will be rational, but perfect, perfectly capable of making the right decisions based on what they see in front of them, uh, the best decisions for them. But still, uh, I think we have to take this into account. We cannot just ignore it because if we design a system trying to make it as efficient as possible without taking the selfish nature of the participants into account, then they will start doing other stuff, stuff that we don't want them to do, 
And then in the end, we will end up with something that is not efficient. And actually, computer science studies this exactly. So computer science has a notion. It was defined, uh, it's a theoretical notion again, but uh, it, it's actually quite interesting. I think economists like this notion quite a bit. It basically quantifies. So let's say that you have a system, you design it, and if everybody was truthful and they didn't, they were not selfish and they did exactly what you told them to do, the system would be efficient. But because of the reason uh, that they actually are not telling, are not doing what you tell them, so they're they're selfish, they do their own thing, then um, the system becomes inefficient, and then this notion quantifies how inefficient the system becomes. And this is called the price of anarchy. It has a very nice name. It's, the point is, uh, if if they don't do what you tell them, they do whatever they want. This is in a sense anarchy. And then this converges to a stable state somehow. So the assumption is that after they start choosing their own actions, as I said before, they converge to some nice equilibrium. And then the point is, how much worse is this compared to the idealized outcome that we could achieve if we had central control? So, yeah. <clears throat> so this is what is measured by the price of one. Again, I think this is one of the big contributions of, uh, of computer science to game theory. I think game theorists, economists also like this, this notion, uh, although they didn't think about it, which is which is weird because it's a very simple thing to think about, I guess. Okay, now this next bit is a bit longer as it discusses both theory and has an example of theory. When we talk about models involving humans, like the ones in game theory, the number of parameters you have to consider can be too many to work with, especially if you're trying to consider selfishness and irrationality. Dr. Ratzkas explained the differences between how economists and computer scientists approach this problem. I think this is where uh, computer science differentiates itself from economics, uh, at least in my in my viewpoint. I mean, I don't know if this is a popular opinion. This is just my opinion. So economists, you know, so what I've seen them do is that they they try to model the. Let's say you have, as, as you said, like you have a realistic scenario. You have a, a scenario in real life. And you try, you're trying to come up with a model. Uh, they try to model this as accurately as, as possible. So you know, as you say, they want to incorporate as many parameters as they can. Um, you know, and then, as I said, to make this as realistic as possible. So then, they kind of convince themselves that if we solve this, then you know, if we find something interesting here, then uh, this really corresponds to reality. The problem is that most of the time, the model becomes so complicated that doesn't allow you to say many interesting things. Maybe you can run some experiments, maybe you can prove some theorems, theorems in the theoretical sense, but because precisely because you have so many parameters, it's very hard, hard to handle from a mathematical perspective. So in computer science, we're mostly interested in um, perhaps simplifying the models a little bit. So the models do not tell the whole story about real life, but they, they are close, but maybe they're not exactly accurate. But on the other hand, usually we were able to prove theorems, we're able to to prove some conclusive, to give some conclusive answers. Like what I said, this inefficiency that I mentioned before, this is applied usually to idealized models or you know simplified models of reality using only a few parameters, let's say. Um, whereas, um, you know, um, if you add more parameters, then it's hard to say anything. It's hard to say anything meaningful. And I guess I can give you an example. Um, so let's think of an auction. So auctions are a very good example for uh, explaining these notions. Um, and I'm not claiming that computer science came up with these uh, notions. Of course, this came from economics, all of this, all of uh, what I'm going to say. 
So, but let's think of a very simple auction. So we have one item for sale. Let's say it's a painting, right? And we would like to sell this item. Um, <clears throat> now let's think of ways to sell it. First of all, let's say that every participant in the auction called them agents here. So every agent has uh, one value. And this value is um, the amount of money that uh, the agent would be willing to pay to buy the painting. But I don't know this. You know, this is, uh, let's say this is... Um, private information, so we put it in an, in an envelope, it's a sealed bid auction, so we submit it and then they open it up. The one that has the highest bid is the one that wins, that makes sense, but how much do they pay? So let's think about this. Um, let's do the simplest thing, which is basically you, you pay as much as you bid, so you pay your own bid. Now the problem with this is that, let's say we're willing to pay 100,000 pounds for a painting and you would be willing to pay 80,000, something like this. Now, it's not certain, I mean, it's not clear that I know how much you would be willing to spend, but maybe I have some information about this. Maybe I know you and I know that it's not worth that much to you. It's it's worth, you know, somewhere between 50,000 and 80,000. Then <clears throat> it doesn't make sense for me to actually bid 100,000. It makes sense for me to bid a bit less because then I could get the painting and I would keep some of the money. Um so in that sense, you kind of put the agents in a in a weird situation where they have to think, they have to strategize, uh, you know, they have to, yeah, so they have to decide based on information that they don't have, or, you know, they might have this information, but you force them to be strategic. Uh, however, you could do something else. You could ask the agent to pay the second highest bid. So let's think about that. So let's say that... Uh, you know, if I have the largest, the highest bid, I win, but then I pay the second highest bid. And let's say that the high, second highest bid was 80,000, which is yours. Now, if you think about it, if I bid less than the second highest bid, I would lose the item, but I would be willing to pay more. So I would never do that. On the other hand, even if my, you know, my real value for the painting was 100,000, I have no incentive to bid anything other than 100,000 because I would pay 80,000 anyway. So why would I try to think about it in underbid? And this is the whole idea of the second price auction. This is a, a very simple idea that uh, some people came up with and they, they won Nobel prizes for this. This is an example. Okay, I guess to, to connect it with your previous question. Um, now in computer science, we would think that this model is probably an accurate representation of reality. We would say that Yes, every agent has a value. This value reflects how much they're willing to bid. Uh, the agent perhaps has some information about the others. Maybe they don't know the, how, how much others are willing to bid, but they have some information about it. Maybe in terms of some distribution, this is usually how things are. Um, but in economics, you might have uh, more complicated things. Maybe my value really depends on your value as well. Maybe there is some, there is some kind of connection between us, or maybe my value depends uh i don't know maybe my, if we had a different auction where the bids are open like uh, you know this kind of auction that you see in movies where you you have a you know you basically bid and then it increases the price increases and then you bid maybe then when i see others what they bid my value changes internally so these are all things that can happen in reality and in economics they usually try to incorporate this into the model to make it more realistic but then as you can imagine this nice solution like the second price auction which again i'm not claiming that this comes from computer science this definitely comes from economics but 
this kind of nice solutions start of going away in a sense, and then you get more complicated things. And economists are really digging deep into finding what you can do in these cases. Whereas for us, we're more mostly interested in the simpler models and trying to come up with cleaner solutions. I guess that would be my kind of the way that I see it. But of course, I'm a bit biased because I come from computer science. We talked a lot about the applications of game theory and examples of it, but most of the examples that we've heard so far are in economics. However, Dr. Rastikas is a computer scientist, and I couldn't help but ask, what is the research that they are doing in computer science that doesn't involve economics? Does the work that they do still involve human interactions with computers, or is it just strictly the generation of algorithms? I don't want to say that it doesn't involve human interaction. It does in many cases. But uh, it's mostly algorithmic, as you say, most are algorithmic and computational. And uh, I guess um, what computer science contributed to this whole literature, because, you know, the, if somebody hears to this, this discussion, they might think, oh, everything has been done in economics. So what have you guys done? Uh, we have done some things. <laughs> I think we have done things that economists didn't know how to do. So, for instance, I talked about the Nash equilibrium, right? And I said, um, this is a concept, the fundamental concept since the 1950s, and actually John Nash, Wrote, wrote a, I think it was like a five-page paper proving that uh, for any game, every game that you can think of, uh, with under some very mild assumptions, a Nash equilibrium always exists. So it's always possible to reach a stable, stable outcome. But then the question was, can we actually compute this? Can we find this? Can we find it efficiently? Or does it take too long to, to find an equilibrium? So this is, these are the kind of questions that we ask in computer science. Is there an algorithm that can find an equilibrium fast, or is this problem what we consider to be hard to solve uh, in computer science? And uh, you know, this was studied, and there was there were some uh, very nice publications about this, and it was proven that actually computing an equilibrium is considered to be computationally hard, and computationally hard. So just to you know, for the uh, for people to understand, so what we consider to be efficient in terms of an algorithm in, in uh, computer science is that it's something that runs in what we call polynomial time. So let's say that you have a size, so your input has a specific size, um, and then you measure the running time in, in terms of the number of steps that the algorithm takes. It's not the exact running time on a specific machine. We don't want to do this. We measure the number of steps that the algorithm takes. And then if this number of steps is a polynomial function of the input, let's say the input is uh, n, this is what we usually use, if the output is something like uh, 3n squared plus n plus 6, that is considered to be fast. And in, in all applications, actually, if you plug this into a computer and try to solve it, it will be solved fast in many cases. Now, if n is huge, then it becomes it starts becoming harder to solve, but we consider this to be fast. If something is exponential, so if the running time is a function where n appears in the exponents or something like two time, 2 to the n or something like this, then this is a very slow function. Now, um, in computer science, whatever we can solve in polynomial time, we consider to be efficient. And we would consider something to be inefficient if we cannot solve it in polynomial time. However, um, the problem is that we haven't, it's hard to show that you cannot solve something in polynomial time. This is a big open question. So some people might have heard this is the P, VS and P, big open question in computer science. So uh, we actually settle to the next best thing, which is, Something is computationally hard means that if we if we had an algorithm that's solving this efficiently, we can solve a catalog of other problems using the same algorithm. So basically, we connect all of these problems 
And if we can solve one of them, we would be able, able to solve all of these in polynomial time. And we don't expect that, that to be the case because we actually tried over the years, people have been trying to solve all these different problems and they haven't been able to solve them in polynomial time. So we expect them to be hard. And when you show that something is computationally hard, you show that it's, it is as hard as doing one of these other problems. So if you could solve this problem, you could solve the others. So in that sense, they showed that uh, computing an equilibrium is computationally hard, which means that if you could actually find this one, one in polynomial time, you would be able to solve some other problems that you we do not expect to be solvable in polynomial time. So this is something that economists didn't think about because they don't they don't have the tools for this. You know, they don't have the machinery for this. This is not what they studied. But um, this kind of explains also sometimes what they have seen from uh, behavior of people that although we know that equilibria exist, uh, people didn't really find them. Like they didn't play, they didn't reach the stable outcome in their interactions. So this is a, this is an explanation, I guess, one kind of explanation. So these are the kind of things that we contributed. It was very interesting to me to see how everyday interactions are a field of study in a mathematical field. Researchers like Dr. Ratzikas are creating models in order for a whole system to work as efficiently as possible. But it is true that the models are building are theoretically first, and you need someone to apply them. How easy is this transition from theory to practice? It's hard to convince people that this is the right, the right choice. Because imagine the following scenario. So you're telling people that you have designed a system and you think the system will be efficient, but um, I'm telling you that if people are being selfish and they do, you know, uh, whatever, they take their own actions for their own benefit, then your system will be highly inefficient. So instead, you should design this other system that is robust to this kind of behavior, but it will be twice, twice uh, as bad, two times worse. It's hard, hard to convince people that uh, this will actually happen. People might tell you, oh, come on, you know, I don't really think people will act this way and you're being too pessimistic. So it, it's really hard to convince them. Um, but I have to say that there are some cases where um, some people, and this is primarily from economics, uh, actually collaborated with um, with banks, for instance, um, to come up with uh, auction formats that they can use for selling uh, bonds and stuff like that. And a good example is the, um, there was an auction a few years back. This is for a 4G spectrum in England, that was. It was a multi, multi-million, multi-billion, I don't remember, huge amount of money. Um, and then, uh, yeah, there was, an, uh, there was a professor from Oxford University that uh, came up with an auction for actually selling the spectrum in a way that was also, you know, sort of gave the right incentives. So it took into account the selfishness of people. It will also try to be fair in a sense. And they did use this. They did use this auction for selling spectrum. So, uh, yeah, there are, there are uh, cases where this is being used in practice. And I'm, I'm sure there are more cases. Of course, there are more cases. These are the ones that I can think of off the top of my head. But um, yeah, as I said, you really have to convince people to use it. And uh, you really have to convince yourself as well, because I think sometimes, at least what we do in computer science, is kind of a worst case uh, analysis, a worst case prediction. We're saying that if you design your system this way, even in the worst case where people are being absolutely selfish and, and this and that, you will still get something that is close to the optimal. Uh, by close, you know, it could be, as I said, twice as bad, but sometimes twice as bad is not that bad. Um, but again, um, we really have to understand better what happens in reality, how people behave. We have to tie uh, our research to some uh, behavioral assumptions, maybe from uh, 
from some other disciplines. And then if we understand, if we come up with models that we can actually analyze and work with, then maybe it's easier to convince people to use them in practice. So I think theory and practice, I think they're both important. If we want to bring them closer together, then we have to kind of, I think practice has to relax the requirements a bit. And we also have to relax kind of our, you know, our um, insistence of uh, being very formal and having these models. Maybe maybe we really need to to learn from them a little bit more and try to somewhere meet them in the middle, uh, I guess. And that's it for another dense edition of Lefteris Ask Science. Game theory is a complex field, but it really shows how beautiful mathematics can be. I hope that you can use this podcast as a starter to your internet searches to find out more about Nash's equilibrium, game theory, and its application to -to day-to-day life. I'd like to thank Dr. Ratzikas for his time and patience to explain game theory to me, and I'd like to thank you for sticking until the end of this episode. If you enjoyed it, please share it around your social media, and if you want, connect with me on Twitter at lefteris underscore asks if you have any questions that you want to be answered in future episodes. And hey, if I know the answer already, I can answer it right then and there. Until we meet again, take care, keep learning, and be kind. <laughs>